Good morning, Fairhill Church. Uh, I'm glad to be with you this Sunday morning. It's good to be worshiping together, to be focusing on our Lord on this uh, Palm Sunday. Now, before we jump into the sermon, I just want to uh, let you know that uh, in addition to giving to the general fund, you can also give to the deacons right now. And this is an important time to be giving to the deacons. We have uh, real needs in the church. We know this is a time where many are out of the job and uh, many need financial support. So uh, just keep in mind that uh, we as the body uh, need each other and we are working together through the coronavirus. And if you are in need, please communicate to our deacons, to, to me or to Steve. Uh, this is a time we don't want you to feel like you are alone. You're part of a church family and the deacons are there to help you. We want to support you and come together and, uh, and show you the love of Christ in that way. So please contact us. Uh, get, you can give to the deacons um, either online or by designating uh, through any check that it is for the deacon fund. All right, so uh, today we are going to celebrate uh, Palm Sunday, the day that Jesus came uh, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey just one week before the resurrection. And for those of you who don't know the story, uh, let's read it together. We're looking at Luke 19, the Luke's version of this, Luke 19, verses 28 through 40. So read with me. And when he said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say, the Lord has need of it. So those were sent away and found it, just as they were told. And as they were untying the, the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Appropriately. They brought it to, the Lord, uh, to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the, on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. So this is, this is the, the events of Palm Sunday where Jesus goes riding in as ultimately the, the king of peace. And now as I think about this passage, uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was riding on a donkey. Um, why should you care? Why should you care as you deal with the realities of your life, as you deal with life in quarantine and the struggles and the boredom and the anxiety and the fear? Why does this event 2,000 years ago mean something to you right here and right now? And I had to admit, like, admit that this week I struggled with that because it seemed pretty irrelevant, actually. Because as I read this story, I see that uh, for one day, for one day, Jesus was received as a king. And that these people praised him for one day. One day they get all excited and celebrate him. And then less than a week later, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he is all alone. He has been abandoned. And so I have trouble getting excited about this story. It, it feels like, um, like a disappointment. Now later on, people will worship this king and 
I think of the resurrection day that we'll celebrate a week from now. I think of his ascension into heaven or a second coming, these amazing times where the king comes and everyone celebrates and is called to worship. Uh, I get excited about those, but this one I struggle. But I have to admit that, okay, uh, this is one of the few stories that is in all four Gospels. There's a stress that seems to be put on this, this event. This is a big deal. And as a church, and throughout church history, there's been this stress on this, this day, Palm Sunday. Why is it so important? And I realize that I have to change my opinion that this is just the ramblings of, of some fickle worshipers who had a king for a day. No, it needs to be more than that. There, there's more going on. I think God is more excited about this day than, than I have am. And so uh, today, I want to think, um, think about this differently. That Palm Sunday is infinitely important because on this day, the King of Peace is worshipped as he deserves to be worshipped, which is the point of the whole, the whole creation, the whole existence, all of reality. And I want to look at those three things that Palm Sunday is important because the King of Peace is worshipped as he deserves, which is the eternal purpose of all things. That's why we're excited about this day. Because these things are fulfilling the purpose of God to be glorified in the name of Jesus Christ by his people. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for a day where Jesus gets all of the worship that he deserves. Father, not that, not that he could ever get all of the worship he deserves. He deserves so much more than we could ever give him. And yet, Father, I ask that this day would remind us of the reality of our call to worship and our call to receive the King of, of Peace, the call to get excited about the works that Jesus Christ has done and the works that you have done through him. Father, we ask that you would change our hearts. You would help us to see that the day of worshiping Jesus is a day that is of infinite value. And Father, would that shape our days and would that shape our worship, we pray. For the glory of Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen. All right, so first, before we can really move on, we need to understand, okay, what was Jesus trying to communicate when he did get on this colt and, and walk down the Mount of Olives and ultimately, I think we, we see that he was trying to communicate that he is the king of peace. He is the king of peace. So I'm not going to read again that back and forth. Okay, they, they, find, a, they find a donkey. They successfully attain him. Uh, and they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And here comes Jesus coming down the Mount of Olives, traveling traveling from the east into the city of Jerusalem, which we saw a couple weeks ago, that same path. Now, what is this? What is this? This is, this is the coronation. This is the, the entry of the king in ancient Near Eastern culture. Now, some of you probably have heard that uh, a bunch of times, but uh, there are different coronation ceremonies. Every ceremony uh, in different cultures is supposed to reinforce kind of the same things, that this is uh, a true king, and they're being set apart. And it gives an um, a opportunity for God to, to display his, his favor upon this king, and the people are given opportunities to bow or to kneel 
or to take an oath to recognize this as the true king. And in Israel, the, the ritual is, is this one, that the king goes riding on a burst, the beast of burden uh, down into the valley and up back into Jerusalem, entering through the eastern gates. Now, there's two versions of this ceremony. On the one hand, you can ride a white horse. You can ride the white horse, and if you're riding the white horse, you are a king of, of victory and warfare. That you are riding in to trample your enemies and to establish your throne against all odds. That you're basically like paving the way, and this, this war horse is trampling anything that gets in the way. Now, on the other hand, you can ride a donkey. And if you're riding the donkey, you are the peaceful king. The king who comes to an unchallenged throne, that there are no enemies before him, no obstacles to that throne. If you're on the donkey, you're riding with a spirit of gentleness and humility. And of these two, Jesus comes riding on the donkey. He is the king of peace. He is the king of humility. He is the king of gentleness. Now, that should surprise us. That should surprise us because this is not a peaceful time. Israel is not in a time of peace. The reality is, okay, first, if, if you look at the religious order, there is no peace there. You have the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Herodians and various factions all warring out trying to establish their kind of religious throne. And then you have the war going on between the oppressed people of Israel and the Roman rulers. And the reality is, none of these thrones are vacant. Jesus isn't going to step in and become the, the leader of the Sanhedrin. He's not going to step in and sit next to Pontius Pilate, and they're going to rule together. It's, and that's where the first thing we want to see here is, all right, this is a different kind of kingdom. If Jesus is coming in to an unchallenged throne, he is establishing a kingdom that is not of this world as a spiritual kingdom. A spiritual kingdom that he is rightfully the king of because he is the king of the universe. This is a larger, more all-encompassing, greater kingdom of our Lord. All right, but then, then we have to, once again, okay, we're going to say, okay, I can understand that, but there's a problem there too because in the spiritual kingdom, there's a war going on too. A war between the holy and righteous God and people, you and I who are sinners to the core, who have hated God from, from the second that Adam and Eve ate from the fruit, and it's gone all downhill from there. And that's where we have to be shocked, ultimately, that Jesus, if he's coming to establish a spiritual kingdom, ruling on the throne of God, that Jesus does not come on a war horse. He should come to conquer and to destroy his enemies, you and I. But the reality is, instead of coming on that horse, he comes on a donkey. And he comes as the king of peace. Most importantly, to draw peace between the holy and righteous and perfect God and a people who have been rebellious from the beginning. And he does that by not destroying us, 
but by changing us from the inside out, by, by changing our hearts and destroying the rebellion inside of us and the sin and the, the impurity, every unrighteousness. And he does it by coming and establishing his kingdom on the cross. That we might be washed clean by his blood, that we might be forgiven by his death, that we might be resurrected by his resurrection life. And so we have this picture of the king of peace creating a spiritual kingdom to establish peace with God. All right, why do we care? Why do we care? We're going to get back to that central theme. Why should you care? Uh, Because if that's the case, this is not a kingdom that's just going to fall or that Jesus rose up to, to claim a throne for a day and then, it, and then it came plummeting to the ground. No, he established a spiritual kingdom and he actually did ascend to the throne on that day. He ascended to the thrones in the hearts and minds of the people who were praising him that day. And it doesn't matter if the Pharisees recognized it or not. It didn't matter if Pontius Pilate understood that this was a kingdom that was not of this world. It doesn't matter. He did establish his kingdom this day. That he came as the king to establish a spiritual kingdom where he would reign over those who would give their hearts to him. Now, what does it look like then to actually become a part of that kingdom? What does it look like for a heart to enter into this spiritual kingdom? And that's where we get to this this next point. So Jesus is the, the king of peace and He's king over a kingdom of worshipers. A kingdom of worshipers, verse 37. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Why are they there? Why have they chosen this king? And it's ultimately, it's, it's not as negative as I think we often think it is. Why did they come? They come, came because of all the mighty works that they had seen. The mighty works that they had seen their God do through the King Jesus Christ. And too often, I think, we look at the, those Palm Sunday worshipers and we just trash them. And we say, you know what, they just, they're fickle and they're double-minded and they're worldly and all they wanted was, a, was a, an earthly kingdom. And as soon as Jesus didn't give it to them, uh, they were shouting out, crucify him, crucify him, and isn't that all of us? I don't think that's actually the point of this passage. Because it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that these were freeloaders. It says that these are Jesus' disciples. And these aren't just random people from the city getting swept up in the hype. No, these are worshipers and praisers who had seen the works of Jesus and they wanted him as king. Now, John, John talks about this in his version of this account and he stresses the fact that the people had seen the resurrection of Lazarus and that that was kind of the the hype about Jesus at this time, that they'd seen him resurrect someone from the dead. And this was motivating their worship. And it wasn't just that, hey, let's all get life. No, the people were actually going around trying to, trying to bring the city of Jerusalem into worship and saying, hey, have you heard about what Jesus did with Lazarus? It's amazing. Look at him. Come, let's, let's celebrate this guy as king. Verse 
Now, that's not the only miracle that I'm sure people were, were praising him for. I'm sure they're thinking of the healings, the blind and the lame. Maybe they're thinking of the, the demon oppressed being set free. Maybe they were thinking of the, the powers over nature that they had seen, the feeding of the 5,000, the 3,000, the calming of the storm, the walking on water, the boat overflowing with fish, the, the water turned into wine. Anyway, and we ask, okay, was this kind of a selfish or idolatrous or self-serving worship? No, I don't think it was. This is exactly what we're called to do. We're called to, to see the works that God has done through Jesus Christ and see the person of Jesus and hold him up and say, yes, I want him as my king for the beauty of what he's done because I, I adore this king and I want to worship him. They weren't deceived into thinking that they were going to get some kind of material blessing. No, they were seeing the goodness and mercy and grace of God displayed in Jesus Christ. And so how, does, how, how did these people become part of this kingdom, this spiritual kingdom that was coming about? They were just seeing Jesus. And they were seeing the works of Jesus and the king of peace in his victory over evil and in his destruction of suffering was, was peacefully changing them from the inside out, from their hearts, that they might want to worship and adore this new king. He was drawing them from the very inside of themselves and what was coming out. They were erupting with worship and praise and stripping the cloaks off of their backs and throwing them on the ground recognizing this king as the true king because of what he had done in the name of his father. Now that's where uh, I remind us, I remind us that the kingdom that comes is a kingdom that is won by peace and is peacefully conquering the hearts of individual people because they are seeing the work of Jesus and they are falling in love with him. All right, we do not give this conquering war horse Jesus, and we don't try to take that on ourselves. First, we don't give that to other people. We aren't going to bring them into the kingdom by ripping the cloaks off their backs and throwing them on the ground and saying, you're welcome. And we aren't going to draw them in by, by shaming them or guilting them or scaring them, what do we do? We show them the works of Jesus and we say, isn't this a great king? Wouldn't you want this king to be yours? And I think we have to say it to our own hearts too. That we're probably the most war horsey with ourselves that we try to take off our cloaks by sheer force of will. And we try to, to fix our lives by begrudgingly bowing and kneeling when in reality, what do we need to spend our time doing? We need to spend our time looking at the amazing works of God in Jesus Christ. That that would draw our hearts and draw us in and cause us to worship this king of peace. And that's where I ask you, are you part of this kingdom of worshipers that the king of peace is drawing? Now, that's, that's different than just saying, Yes, I agree, Jesus did some nice things. 
This is different than saying, yeah, I I would like to go to heaven one day. This is different than saying, yeah, I would like to not go to hell one day. Uh, What is this saying? This is saying, no, you, you worship and adore and rejoice in Jesus Christ. Now, can you get there? And now, I, I, like everyone, all of us at some point, we, the, the battery goes dead on our hearts and we need a jump start. So let's try to jump start it just a little bit. It's a time of the year to remind ourselves that this is the resurrected king. That this is the king who died and rose to life for us. This is the king who saw us under the wrath of God. He saw us completely crushed by our sin, and yet hating him. And what did he say? He said, that's someone I want to die for. And he saw us as children of wrath who hated, who hated the very idea of God as Father. And what did he say? I think we should adopt him. I think we should adopt her. You know what I want to do? I want to go and wash them clean by my blood that I might Put them on display as my bride, as my first love, that I might call them blameless and holy and righteous forevermore, that the that there'd be no, no sin on them. There'd be no wrath, there'd be nothing, nothing to hate, nothing to destroy, that the love of God would be would be blessed and poured out upon them. Now, those are the kind of things that we see, and those are the kind of things that these people are seeing. And what are they saying? Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And they're blessing God and blessing their king. That is what we fight for. What has Jesus done for you? What works has God done in the name of Jesus through Jesus Christ? That we might become worshipers in his kingdom. But that takes us then to the final point. All right, so we have this king of peace who for once is being rightly worshipped as he deserves. And why is that important? That's important because that is the point of everything. That is the point of everything. That's the point of why Jesus came. That's the point of why God did all of this was that he might gift us with enjoying him and rejoicing in him and worshiping him for all eternity, for all that he is and all that he's done. And for one day, this day, it seems that it clicked for everyone. That it clicked and everyone saw, oh, right, he is worth worth deserving, or he's deserving of worship from all my heart. And so I ask you, okay, what's, what's the most important thing you did today? And you will do today. You probably haven't done much today. You've probably just eaten breakfast at most. Uh, what's the most important thing you will do today? Worship Jesus. What's the most important thing you'll do tomorrow? Worship Jesus. What's the most important thing you will do day after day after day? The thing that is the, the great litmus test of a well-done, well well-cared-for day is if you worship Jesus, if you praised him, if you enjoyed him, if you glorified him, if you delighted in him, 
if you basked in his goodness and, and swam in his mercy, that is a day that is well, well done. And I think the reality is that Palm Sunday, we, we try to, we try to step on it. And we say, oh yeah, it's, it's, it's one little blip of good, and ev- but other, otherwise everyone was horrible. When I think instead we should think of it as not this kind of fake show or, or farce that these people were putting on. No, I think we should see it as this glimpse of reality that for that day they saw, and they saw the reality of the purpose of mankind and the reality of who Jesus was, and they worshiped as they were supposed to. This was not a failure on the people. This was, uh, this was I think, in, in God's eyes, something infinitely beautiful. An oasis in the desert, a revelation in the darkness. It makes me think of a, a, a kind of a, a proverb that was given to us when we were on, uh, in the mission field in Ocean City, New Jersey, which doesn't seem like much of a mission field, but uh, it kind of was. Um, but what he said was, and it's, it's, there's, there's certain lines where someone gives you something that they like want you to remember forever as their like, kind of closing thoughts. And these were his closing thoughts. He said, when you find yourself in the dark, do not doubt the things you saw in the light. When you find yourself in the dark, do not doubt the things you saw in the light. Now, he was saying that to a bunch of kids who'd been on a mission trip, and we were, we were riding high. We'd climbed the summit of spirituality, and what had we done? We'd, we'd shared the gospel with people, and we'd been fellowshipping and, and learned things about God. And he was saying, okay, this is, this is a time in the light where you've been able to experience like reality as it's supposed to be seen, and you're going to leave here and there's two ways that you can think about that experience. You can say, oh, I must have been off in the cloud somewhere to think such crazy things. And, and kind of disregard it and say, well, no, now that I'm in the light, I can see that that was kind of crazy. Or you can say, I think in that time I was given eyes to see things that are real that I can't see in other times. And I think that's the reality of what we're dealing with in Palm Sunday. Have you ever had a moment of clarity where the reality of who God was opened up and the reality of your sin and the blessing of Jesus Christ? And maybe you've been, you had this like realization that like this sin you've, you've fought and you fought, like you had a victory over it. Or this, this struggle that you, you never thought you could get over a doubt, and for a moment, it, it, you had peace. What do you do with those moments? Do you say, well, those things were fake, those were dumb, that was just a, just a trick of the mind, or was it this kind of flash of lightning? That as that, that peel of, of lightning ripped across the sky, that for that moment, you could see clearly, and you saw reality. That is Palm Sunday. That is in the lives of of sinful people and disciples who were very disappointing like we all are. They saw the importance of Jesus. 
And what does Jesus say? He says, verse 39, some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples, because they're not supposed to call him king. Uh, He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And that's where we sometimes feel a little more like the Pharisees, like they shouldn't be saying all this. This can't be coming from a right heart. This probably isn't well-intentioned. Uh, that's not what the Pharisees are saying, but that's what we say. Uh, we kind of rag on the whole thing. But what does Jesus say? He says, no, this worship is essential. It was crucial. It's actually the whole point of everything. So much so that if the people weren't worshiping, then the rocks would have to come alive and start singing worship and playing their guitars and and singing vocal harmonies because the people weren't doing it. All right, that's where we have to think about this. If a task is so important that if it doesn't happen, God will animate inanimate objects to make sure that that purpose is, is fulfilled, it's probably pretty important. Jesus wasn't looking down on the worship of these people. He was saying, no, this has to happen. And you know what? It can either be my followers or it can be the rocks. Now we talk about during quarantine, what is essential? What are essential jobs? What are essential tasks? And the reality is, okay, what is essential worship? What is essential worshiping Jesus Christ? And this day, what was essential really happened. And I want to tell you that day after day after day, as long as it is called today, you can either make this a day of worshiping Jesus or not. You can fulfill your essential purpose. You can fulfill the purpose that God has given you. And not by kind of begrudgingly in this kind of ugly, nasty, cajoling obedience that you might somehow rip off your cloak and throw it down. No, but you might see Jesus and remember how much he's done for you, his death and resurrection. And you might, for his glory and for the joy of doing so, worship Jesus Christ and delight in him and bask in his mercies and feel his grace and know his adoption and receive his righteousness. That's where every single day, in the midst of a crazy time, you can do something that makes this day of infinite value. That Palm Sunday has infinite value because it fulfills the ultimate mission to glorify God in Jesus Christ. And every single day, we are called to fill that same mission for the joy of doing so and for the love of Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't do it, the rocks will do it. Don't let the rocks steal the worship that you owe to God. Don't let them enjoy God far more than you do. Let's let's take over and let us worship the King of Peace in all joy because we delight in what he's done and who he is in this King of Peace. And on that final, final day, after day after day of of fighting to worship Jesus Christ, Jesus will come on his war horse. 
And we who receive the king of peace, we will have no fear. We will have no doubts. We will have no reason to be ashamed. We will wait for our king to come and we will rejoice all the more. And that burst of lightning that gave us that flash of realization of who Jesus Christ is, it'll become reality. That it's nothing but light, nothing but seeing who Jesus Christ is and how beautiful he is and how much worship he deserves. And that will become reality for all eternity. Let's start that reality right now, day after day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all that he's done. We thank you that you've given us a day to see reality as it should be, where you get all the worship that you deserve. Father, would you help us to see you as you are and to worship with all joy for all that you've done and all that you will do. Father, would you help us see Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. And now hear your benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Now go and worship the King of Peace this day and every day. Have a good Sunday. Bye, guys.